Welcome once again to the Kiwi Astronomers podcast. Uh, we're going to tell you about what's going on in the sky and some events that have been happening uh, this week and will be happening next week. I'm Gareth Davies. I'm uh, being described as an amateur astronomer from Auckland. And I've got with me John Drummond, who is the uh, past president of the Royal Astronomical Society of New Zealand and uh, is a keen astronomer. He uh, runs Gisborne Astro Tours, and he has had two of his pictures appearing on New Zealand stamps. And he also knows an awful lot about comets, which is just as well, because today's subject is going to be comets. So, John, how are things in Gisborne? Yeah, nice and sunny. Thanks, Gareth. All right. Beautiful down here. Yeah. It's COVID lockdown, so... um, you haven't been out surfing like you do at least three or four times a week. There's a camera looking at the surf. Is there anybody out there? Anybody breaking the rules? I haven't seen anyone. Um, I think I was talking to someone yesterday. They say that there's people walking on the beaches naturally, but, but <laughs> thankfully no one's out in the surf, so so that's good. I suppose if you're out in the surf and you clonk your head, then um, then that's bad because the ambulance people have to come out and see you and all that story. So yeah, that's, that's good right. to know. Good to yeah. know that you stick into the rules. Yeah. Today's plan, as I said, is to talk about comets. And I, and I know that you are a comet expert because I attended a talk of yours um, not so long ago at Auckland Astronomical Society, uh, where you told us about your exploits. So you can share that with the, with the podcast listeners and YouTube viewers today. Uh, and also we've got a, a couple of questions, a couple of topics that, that, that um, have just come into the news, in particular, a Rocket Labs listing um, on the NASDAQ, uh, and also the fact that um, 15 years ago, Pluto was delisted, keeping the NASDAQ uh, linkage, delisted as a planet. So anyway, the floor is yours. Tell us all about comets. Okay, well, uh, for those who don't really know, a comet is a, a, a body that goes through the solar system, and it's basically a, a, it's made up of a... Um, a pile of, of gases, frozen gases, rock, and a conglomeration of material. And when it comes in close to the sun, it starts getting a lot of radiation from the sun. And uh, basically, the, the gases start going from a, a frozen state to a gaseous state. So it bypasses the liquid state in a, in a process called sublimation. And as it does so, the gases start expanding around the comet's head or nucleus and forms a cloud around it, known as a comet, a coma. And then as the sun, uh, the comet keeps on coming in towards the sun, the solar radiation from the sun, the solar wind basically blows the material away from the comet and often gives a comet a tail. Not all comets are, are nice, bright, naked eye comets. We, we might see one every I don't know, five years or so, 10 years perhaps. Uh, most comets are just little fuzzballs that come and go unnoticed by the public. But when we do get a good one, they're, they're certainly pretty amazing. Let me get this right. Um, it goes from ice straight to gas, missing out the liquid li- liquid state. Is that, that right? That's right. In science, they call it sublimation. 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 Yeah. All right. How does that happen? How is that? I didn't study chemistry particularly closely. Um, how does that happen? Um, it's just just the, the nature of the beast. Um, I guess the environment where it is, the vacuum, 
uh, and so on. It's not the conditions that you might find on Earth where you've got ice and then it turns to water at a certain melting point uh, and then then into a gas, uh, you know, and basically uh, later on as the temperature increases. So, yeah, so it just basically mostly goes from from that frozen state to to a, a, a to the gas, which makes the the envelope around the, the the head of the comet, and then as it gets blown away, that forms a tail. And an interesting thing is, as the comet comes in around the sun, it, it form, follows a big, long elliptical orbit, like Halley's comet that last came in 1985-86, takes 75 years. Basically, say it's the, at the point closest to the sun, it, it travels out, goes out beyond Neptune, and then the sun's gravity manages to pull it back in to the sun and to do a loop around the sun takes about 75 years so um as it does so it leaves particles behind in its path and and the earth goes through that path every well every year and we get meteor showers so shooting stars uh, at certain times and those are the, the 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 remnants of comets so those meteor showers that we see, that we hear about, it seems to me that there are a lot more in the Northern Hemisphere than there are in the Southern Hemisphere. One of the few advantages of being in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, is there a particular reason why there are so many in the North and so few, in, it seems, in the South? Oh, I, I wouldn't say so many more in the North. The, the thing is, they do have the Perseid meteor shower in, in August, yeah. uh, which is, is a major one. And then they, they've had the Leonid meteor shower too, which uh, gets replenished by Kemo Comet Temple Tuttle every 33 years. And when that comet comes around and, and replenishes the path of, of meteoroids uh, and the Earth goes through it every 33 years, then we get, can get storms. So yeah, the Northern Hemisphere has had storms, but uh, and, and some good meteor showers. Southern Hemisphere also has them, but there's not, just not as many people down here observing them. So I guess we hear more about the northern ones, perhaps. What's the best one to see down south? Um, my personal favourite is the uh, Southern Delta Aquarid meteor shower. You can see uh, up to you know a couple of shooting stars per minute. Right. Uh, when it's when it's a good year, another very good one is around Labor Weekend each year from here in New Zealand, yeah. when we pass through pass through the path left by Halley's Comet, and we have the Orionid meteor shower. So, those who know not Orion, to, not not to forget the eat the Eta as well. That's right. There's two 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 meteor showers associated with Halley's Comet, uh, and both produce nice meteors. Yeah. And the thing about those meteors is as they come in, they're often fairly bright, you know, sometimes yeah. brighter than the brightest star in the sky, but usually about the brightness of an average star. Wow. But they, they often leave a nice trail behind them that lasts for a couple of seconds called a train. Oh, really? Oh. What the, so, the, so, the, so the meteoroid has a, has a train, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a particular characteristic of Halley's Comet uh, the, the particles that are left behind have a certain uh, consistency or, or, or size that actually has enough mass to actually leave that trail behind it. So you'll, you'll see a shooting star going through the sky last you know, two seconds, maybe one, two, three seconds. And then the train, the trail where the meteor was, will be sitting there for oh, three, four, five seconds. Really? Back on the 
the most amazing one I saw was back in 1980, in the early 80s, when I saw a meteor, and it wasn't a bright meteor, but the thing about this one is it left a train, a trail in the sky that lasted 27 minutes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was quite amazing. Initially, it was just a straight line, but then with the winds and the upper atmosphere and all that, that it got distorted and so on. Kind of like contrails in the air get distorted. Did you? Uh, did you yeah, 27 you know? minutes. Well, you Sorry? just happened to be look, uh, you just happened to be observing. Yeah, I was outside with my telescope just looking up and uh saw this meteor and the train just kept on going and going and going. And I just wish I had have gone and got my film camera and, and photographed it. But I kept on thinking, oh, if I go and get my camera, it'll probably yeah. disappear. But yeah. now 27 minutes later. Still out there. So so, yeah. so um comets are predominantly um made of like they're like cosmic snowballs, I guess, giant big ice. Yeah, um, there's a, an astronomer, Fred Whipple, who discovered, um, basically called them dirty snowballs. All right. Because people thought they were just like a conglomeration of, um, of frozen materials, frozen gases, a uh, conglomeration of rock in there and, and, um, and so on. And probes to them, two comets, have actually seen that, yeah, they are a, quite a weak conglomeration of um, like gravel and, and, and dust and, and gases and, and so on. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty incredible things. And how and how did they actually um, um, form? I mean, how come how come they're made of ice? How come they're not like all the you know the how did how did they come to be made of ice? It's it's very weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably something to do with the formation of the early solar system four point five billion years ago, when the sun uh, the, there was a vast solar nebula, uh, and over time. The, it started to spin and most of the material, in fact, 99.8% of the material formed the sun. And then when the sun reached the stage uh, 15 million degrees Celsius, hydrogen atoms were getting smashed together with hydrogen atoms to make helium atoms. It ignited, so to speak, and then it blew off the, the material that was left around it. And a lot of those gases and, and ices and so on went out into the outer solar system further away from the sun is this so the, is way this the out Oort, there Oort cloud or kuiper belt or yes that's right yeah so so the comets basically formed way away from the sun uh and and that hence the reason they have a lot of ice in them so what so they so they're all forming most things are going around what what suddenly made them come warm in these 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 orbits that go around the sun how do they suddenly Leap out of that leap out of the um Oort cloud or the Kuiper belt and suddenly start heading towards um um the sun. Yeah, it, it can be uh possibly that uh two objects might be knocked way uh -huh. out there and and then one gets knocked into a different tra trajectory and ah, comes right. towards the sun. Another reason is the 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 gravity of Jupiter and Saturn, especially Jupiter, the biggest planet in our solar system, has a can have a gravitational pull on them uh, and and alter their path and that will cause them to come in. Uh, so yeah, there's a number of factors and astronomers are all determining, you know, why. And what's the chances of one of them whapping into Earth like in one of those um one of those movies I saw. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, people think that 
65 million years ago, 66 apparently, 66 million years ago, there was a, a comet or an asteroid the size of a of Mount Everest, basically 10 kilometers in diameter, that came in and went smack into the Yucatan Peninsula in oh, Mexico, yeah. and yeah. that that wiped out the dinosaurs and so on. So, so there are chances of comets and asteroids hitting Earth, and we do have. Uh, instances where it has happened like in Cherubinsk and and i probably said that wrong sorry in russia where that body came in exploded in the upper atmosphere uh and sent out the the, the shock waves and broke windows and everything and in fact in, in 1908 in siberia uh, astronomers believe that a comet came in and basically exploded above the trees and flattened all the trees, ah, millions yeah. of trees. I, I, I've seen that. I think I've seen a video or something of that. Is that right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So so these days, astronomers, are uh, they've got search programs around the world where they're searching with big telescopes, searching for comets and asteroids uh, and, and basically trying to... See, find any that might hit Earth. In fact, the, the work I do here at Possum Observatory when I'm not school teaching and surfing is following up newly discovered comets and asteroids and helping determine a, a path. And then based on that path, we can see you know where it will go, if it's going to hit Earth or, or whatever. Ah, and yeah, that is um, something to be concerned about, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, the, NASA is, is concerned enough to be uh, searching for them and to be thinking about trying to devise methods of actually deviating them from their path so they don't hit Earth. I mean, they're, they're, they're talking about um, explosions near them to, to, to bear them away from Earth, uh, maybe putting uh, thrusters, rockets on them to fire so that it'll send it away from Earth or, you know... A, veer the angle away so it doesn't hit earth other other theories are blow up but of course if you do that you've got a whole heap of um, smaller bodies coming towards you so yeah so well let's hope bruce willis is around when if one does come <laughs> yeah, he, he, right. he did a pretty good job him and ben he did he did yeah uh, yeah 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 and how many are out there there are, there are a lot i read i read somewhere there are like thousands, thousands. Yeah, thousands and 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 astronomers think that they, there's probably trillions uh, out in the Kuiper belt and further out in the Oort cloud. Uh, it's just they, they haven't been um, knocked off in their orbit or gravitational pull, gravitationally pulled or disrupted by passing stars or whatever to um, bring in uh, bring them in. So a lot of them are sitting out there. And, and you are actively um, looking for them from the Possum Observatory? Do you? Do you, do you yes, yes, I, I, I do. Um, it's. I must admit, it's, it's it's very hard now to discover for an amateur astronomer to discover a comet or an asteroid. There's just massively big, expensive programs set up by universities and organisations to to search for them. So it's, they're seeing things that are just so faint that it, it'll be months before they'll be bright enough for me to see them. So or other amateurs. So it's a bit of a challenge now. So the chance of seeing the um or hearing about the possum Drummond um um comet is, is oh, unlikely. Am I right about comet that? Drummond, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, yeah. Why are they all, why do they, why are there so many with two names? Hale Bop. What you know what? Oh so basically naming conventions states that Say you discovered a, a, a comet, then I discovered 
comet and then Mr. Smith discovered a comet within a couple of days of each other and reported them to the International Astronomical Union, the police of astronomy, basically. Uh, then the first three, up to the first three names, surnames would actually uh, be listed with that comet. For example, our comet would be Davy Strummond Smith. I like the sound. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed Medical that. Tape. I noticed that there are two called Tutland, there. Eh? Yes, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so there, there's been some very famous comet hunters over the years, and um, like Bill Bradfield in Australia discovered, oh, gee, probably about 17 or 18 comets, uh, one of the most by an amateur astronomer in, in wow. the world. In fact, he was born in New Zealand, believe it or not, and then oh went over God, to what's Australia his name, later what's his on. name again? What's his name? Bill Bradfield. Bill Bradfield. Yeah, he's he passed away a few years ago, but um, um, yeah, and then then you've got oh, another person who passed away just last week was Caroline Schumacher, who was oh, married yeah. to Eugene, Eugene yeah. Schumacher, and some people might know the name Schumacher Levy yeah, from yeah. the comet that actually split up into twenty one pieces and smashed into Jupiter in nineteen ninety four. Wow, wow. So what which is uh, one of the questions I've always had is when I was a kid, everybody called it Haley's Comet. But then I suddenly found people are calling it Halley's Comet. Have you got any what, what's the story there? Um yeah, I I've heard Halley's Comet too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's Edmund Halley, right? The astronomer yes, royal. Yeah. And who names the comets? Who's it's the police again, the IAU. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, there, 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 there have been situations, especially in a hundred years ago or so, before we had the before telephones and, and telegraphs were, were a common common thing, where, say, a local astronomer in, uh, say, Napier might discover a comet, and then in the newspaper, the, the newspaper would call it Comet uh, Bert, and... Right. Um, and then people would be calling it Comet Bert, but then later on, the official designation for the first person who, who discovered it would come out and find that, no, it's not Comet Bert, it's actually Comet um, Tuttle or whatever. <laughs> Tuttle, Tuttle again. Yeah. Guys, uh, hey, tell me, there was that strange rock going through the sky, Oumuamua. Um, was that it? Was that, that wasn't a comet, was it? No, but basically that was an interstellar asteroid that oh. came from another star. So uh, the first the first time that an asteroid has been discovered coming from from another star, and recently a, a man called Boris Borisov he he discovered a comet that came from another star too. So it's, it's pretty amazing to think that these objects have been travelling for oh, must be millions and millions of years, and then they get pulled into Earth uh, the sun's gravity, and they pass basically through our solar system and carry on in their merry way. Now, look, while we've been talking, um, we've had a question come in from our good friend Richard Fish in West Auckland. And his question is, John, has any Earth spacecraft ever landed on a comet? Yes, there ha has been. Uh, there thank you, Richard. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Yep. Uh, there was a comet that was, was landed on, uh, it was 67 and it's got a horrible 
two, two, a hyphenated name, which is really hard to say, but it's known as 67P. And the, the lander actually landed the on it. The so bad. 67P is a better name. It must be a terrible name. That's right. 67P actually means it's the, the, the not, uh, 67th periodic comet hmm. that's been discovered. So P meaning periodic. So oh, basically right. it comes back around um, the, to the sun within 200 years. So because, because this comet here did is on a regular path, NASA was able to plan the mission, send the probe to the comet, and they landed on the comet. And, and it's quite amazing. They had harpoons that would shoot into the soil or the regolith of the comet and, and, and anchor it there because it's such a small body. It's got such a small gravity that it could easily just bounce off and, and go away. Yeah. Uh, it, they shot the harpoons into the ground, but it was so shingly, uh, like we're saying, it's a conglomeration of, of loose shingle and rock and gas and oh, that, yeah, um, like, yeah. that the harpoon couldn't hold. And it actually bounced off there and then then landed um, uh, somewhere else. Uh, so NASA was able to say they, they, they managed to land twice on a comet. So, <laughs> and what did they find out about it? That's an amazing story. What did they find out about it? Oh, they saw jets coming away from it, cryovolcanism, basically, um, you know, down subterranean. The, 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 as it gets closer to the sun, things are getting heated up and the gases expand and spend, send out jets, which give us a coma and tails and things. How long ago, uh, and, was, how long ago was this? Oh, you've got me there, Gareth, but it was, it was probably around about 15 or 10 years ago. I'd say. And what happened to the, 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 has the comet taken off back to the Oort cloud with 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 the NASA space probe on on, on it? Yeah, so it is is a, a periodic comet, so it won't go all the way out to the Oort cloud. It'll reach a certain distance from the sun, and then it will come back. But yeah, I, I presume the pro, the, the oh, lander is still on there. Wow. I think it was called Philae. Um, wow. wow. So, maybe from so, the word Greek word philios, meaning love. Oh wow! Well, fantastic. So, so what's the next one we can expect to see? That's a million-dollar question. The astronomers are always, and the public are always hoping that a new comet gets discovered and becomes a really nice, bright one. Um, most of the comets are fairly run-of-the-mill comets. We might get one or two. I think next year in twenty twenty-two there might be one that is 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 naked eye, oh, right. uh, but it, 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 basically, watch the space, watch these podcasts, and we'll tell you down the track when um, when the next one will be coming. Well, look, before we wrap up, um, I just wanted to talk to you about two things. And one is, what about this news at Rocket Lab? Have you, have you been following that? Uh, that has been listed on the NASDAQ. I know. Uh, I, I got the $5.2 billion US dollars. That's what it's been valued at, based upon the closing price. And, uh, and the vision and get the right people behind you, and away you go. Well, that's why you got. I think you got the University of Southern California and NASA and a few other hitters. <laughs> so that always helps. Yeah. We'll have to get it. We'll have to get on the phone to them when we finish and see where they prepare to support us. I could mm. do it. Sir. I could do it. Yeah. Some of that um, five point five point two billion. <laughs> Hey, um, and the other thing is that um, 20, what is it, 15 years ago, poor old Pluto was downgraded. Perhaps you could tell our, our viewers and listeners why that came about. 
Yeah, so with improved technology, larger telescopes and more sensitive cameras in the late 1990s, they were discovering more and more objects, kind of like Pluto, even larger than Pluto, out beyond Neptune, uh, and discovering quite a few of them, and basically thought, well, if we keep improving our technology and discovering more of these bodies out there, we're, got, we're going to have 50, 100 planets in our solar system. So the <laughs> IAU, the Police of Astronomy, basically had a, had a meeting in 2006 and sat down and had a vote. And basically they said that for a planet to be a planet, it has to obey three laws. One, it has to clear, uh, basically has to orbit the sun. So the moon, of course, orbits the earth once a month. Uh, and so it can't be called a planet because it's orbiting, orbiting the earth. So a planet has to orbit the sun. It has to have enough mass to undergo different uh, uh, planetary differentiation, basically turns itself into a sphere with the gravity. And a third one would that Pluto can't do is it needs to clear the orbit around it of uh, other bodies. And Pluto basically doesn't have the mass, the, the, the gravitational pull to clear the area around it of all the other, other um, bodies that are actually orbiting near it. So for that reason, in 2006, uh, the IAU voted that Pluto was demoted from planet status down to dwarf planet status. Seems to be to be justified. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think some of us, the romantics, would like to see Pluto stall as a planet, uh, but everything else, you know, smaller, whatever, be a dwarf planet. But you, you can see the scientific principle that they were trying to adhere to. Okay, well, there you go. That's been very interesting, John. I've learned I've learned a lot, and I hope the people listening in have and watching have learned a lot. So. That's it from us. You'll be doing some surfing, hopefully, and the level three. Can you do that under level three lockdown, surf? Ooh, uh, that's a good question, Gareth. I can't remember last time. Maybe, maybe uh, you can surf in a bubble. Who knows? Yeah, that's right. Like one of those big plastic balls just yeah, go yeah, sliding down the waves. Exactly. <laughs> like, they like they have at Eden Park at half time. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Good idea, Gareth. That, there you go. Let's patent it. $5.2 billion here we come. Okay, John, I'm going to play us out now with our favourite song. Okay, here Gareth. We Take me to Callisto so I can see the stars. I want to view the Milky Way from a terraform base on Mars. From a terraform base on Mars. From a terraform base on Mars.